Hello and welcome back to another episode of In No Hurry. I am your host, Cole Douglas Claiborne. Happy to be back with you guys again for another episode. And y'all, I am in a great mood. Football is back. And yesterday, my Bears pulled off a ridiculous win. I don't know how they did it. And I'm excited because this week, my guest is a fellow Bears fan. He's an author. He's just got a new book out. My buddy Dan Darling is on the show. His book, Away With Words, just came out this fall. And we got to talk a lot about his book, which is focused on using our online platforms and our conversations online for good, which is obviously very similar to what we talked to Scott Sauls about earlier this season. And got to talk about some Chicago Bears football with Dan and just talk about sports and life during 2020 and all of that kind of stuff. And I'm just really excited for this conversation. I think you guys are going to really enjoy it. I appreciate Dan's wisdom, both in this conversation and in his book as well. If you're on social media right now, which is probably most of you who are listening, it's no secret how vitriolic it can be on social media, even among Christian circles and even among Christians. And as Christians, we need to use our platform, our online voice to reach people and for Jesus and to point them toward Jesus. And so I appreciate Dan's words in this conversation in his book. And I hope that this inspires you. I hope it encourages you to maybe treat people differently than you have been. Or maybe if, if this isn't something you struggle with, to continue treating people with love on, online. And I know that it's hard for us to do sometimes. It's easy to get roped into arguments and conversations, especially as we enter an election season. And I just ask that you listen to what Dan has to say and the ways that we can approach conversations with friends, loved ones, family members, and even complete strangers, both in this election season and going forward. So here's my conversation with Daniel Darling. Well, Daniel, welcome to the show. This could uh, very well be possibly the nerdiest conversation that I have on this podcast because you have an English teacher and me an author in you, and we're going to talk about words. So I'm excited. Yes. I hope everybody listening is excited to hear about words for 45 minutes to an hour or so. So how you doing, man? I'm doing great. And I love talking about words. Uh, we could also talk about sports too, but probably, right. probably, probably words. So your new book, Away With Words, I think is a very timely book right now because we, we are living in just a a very tense time with coronavirus. We're in an election year and everybody to, for the most part is feeling t tense. They're feeling anxious. And mm -hmm. we're seeing that through the words that we post on social media. And, you know, the old adage, people say sticks and stones may, may break my bones. Words will never hurt me. Well, your book is all about the power of words and uh, really from the beginning of time, the power of words, so that old adage, maybe doesn't ring as true because there is power in words and they can hold uh, pain and they can be, they can uplift people. So um, you write about it at the very beginning of your book and your introduction, even about just, you know, how words have always been important to you. They've been a big part of your life. So uh, where did the idea for this book come from? And, and especially now in 2020, why do you feel like this book is, is important? Well, uh, it came from a couple of places. Uh, you, you know, you alluded to it in the beginning, but I have made my living essentially with words my whole career. You know, it's funny. My dad is a um, is a uh, tradesman. He 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 was a, he was a plumber for you know forty fifty years. I, I forget. And I he used to take me out on the job site 
and I'd work with my hands and I always would tell myself like how much I hated it because I didn't like getting dirty or getting up early or having to put on a lot of layers of clothes in Chicago in the winter. So it's funny that I, I have basically made a living with, with words my whole career, whether I'm, I've always been a writer since really since junior high. And I talk a little bit about that in the book, but as a writer, as a pastor, uh, working communications for various organizations, um, working even, you know, helping friends run for office at times. Like I've always been, it's just been words, whether talking or or preaching or writing. I've always loved words. I like reading words. I like putting phrases together and forming words, you know, and it, it does strike me. And one of the things we talk about in the book, it's not just a book saying, hey, everybody be nice, which people should be nice, but right. really talking about how Christianity is a religion of words. I mean, yeah. if you think about it, God spoke the world into existence uh, with his words. Uh, we have a God who speaks. Uh, we have the written word of God. That's how he communicates to us. Jesus is described as the logos, the word of God. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and part of what it means to be an image bearer, to uh, what makes us unique as humans is just the high, highly developed way in which we communicate. I mean, you know, animals can communicate, but you know, an animal is not going to write a novel. An animal is not going (laughs) to write a campaign speech. An animal is not going to host a radio show. So there's something unique about humans that we communicate in this way. And it's funny, even when we, the, the, the movies we like, uh, the animated movies we like when we have, uh, when, when it's like animals or, you know, other things, what we like about it is our movies, give them human qualities in the fact that right. they can speak. So, so all that to say, I love words and the Bible really has a lot to say about our words and the shape of words. It matters. So that's the, that's kind of the 30,000 foot reason. The other reason is just, we live in this digital age and you know, I've, I, I'm a, you know, I'm, I'm a young, I'm a young Gen Xer. So I'm not a digital native i'm a digital immigrant but for the most part my career you know has been the digital age and it's helped me in my career but obviously i've noticed that you know we we have more opportunities to communicate now that we ever have uh the way that we communicate matters and i just you know over the last several years the online discourse uh among christians uh even you know among everybody has really coarsened it's really gotten Mm -hmm. nasty there's a lot of things going on with that. And so my, I, I felt like it was important to, to talk about that, to write a book about that. And my premise is it's less about, hey, let's watch our screen time or, hey, let's, let's, take, let's back away. Those are good conversations to have. But the internet's here to stay. We're not yeah. going back to the 1950s. We're not going to suddenly all become Amish. <laughs> um, and so how do we steward the, our words and this opportunity before us well? And so that's kind of the, the premise of the book and try to get underneath some of the reasons we do what we do online. Right. You mentioned something there about how just the discourse online has become so much more tense. And I've noticed that even among the Christian circles that I, that I follow and, and the, you know, just the, the conversations in general, it's just gotten to be a lot more vitriolic. And, and I come from a journalism background. I used to work in daily journalism and I was a sports writer, sports writer for several years. And just the, 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 I was actually talking to a few friends about this today um, because we've seen 
some of this happened with our friends that still work in the business where it can turn you into a really grumpy person. And you see the language that, that some people use, especially those that work in, you know, the news or just where you're always having to report on just horrible things that are happening. It can really weigh on you. And, um, you know, like right now I have some friends who are sports writers and it's weighing on them that they don't have a lot of sports to write about because there's not much going on in the world of sports. And so they're feeling tense. That is, coming out through their language online and you know it's just become something where we at least from my perspective you know we sit on this side of the screen and like you and I are talking I could see your face when I'm tweeting at somebody I can't really see them in the same way and it's, it makes it a whole lot easier to say things that I wouldn't normally say so as you examined just behaviors and that sort of thing as you wrote this book I mean what did you notice in terms of you know maybe from when, when Twitter wasn't as popular 10 years ago to now, or even Facebook or any other social media platform to just the way that we speak and communicate with each other and, and kind of the way that we have disagreements and discourse over topics. I mean, what have you noticed the trends and, and how that's gotten to a point where we kind of need to pump the brakes and say, let's watch how we're speaking to each other. Yeah. It, it's just gotten really nasty and it's interesting how, and I don't know if if the medium itself encourages this. Uh, Twitter, Facebook can be bad too. But if it, you know, when Twitter first started, I remember the conversations of like, oh gosh, like who who cares? Like if you're going to be talking about what you ate all day or what salad you had, or and that was our big concern that people are going to share inane, stupid things. Now, gosh, if if that's all people shared was what they <laughs> ate for lunch. You know, how great would that be? It'd be a happier it's, place. <laughs> it's, there's something about the medium, and I actually like Twitter. I'm on Twitter frequently. I, I like to do a lot of give and take on there. But there's something about the medium that encourages a kind of uh, tribalism, a kind of um, hive mind, a kind of uh, echo chamber. Yeah. And I think it can have perverse incentives, even for Christians, to kind of say, you know, you know, like the the man at the temple who prayed, I'm the Pharisee. I, I'm so glad I'm not like that other horrible person here at the time. You know, like there's this, you know, wanting to make sure everyone knows we're not like that kind of Christian. Or there's this perverse incentives to want to crush people or to let people know, hey, we're on this right side. We're not over here on the wrong side. It, it's interesting. Andy Crouch wrote a great article a few years ago that talked about how the shame, the honor and shame culture, which really kind of was kind of an Eastern thing, not a Western thing has kind of come back with social media that we live in an honor and shame culture. And I think that's true. There, there's a sense in which, and I wonder this every day when I get up, who is the internet going to crush today? <laughs> who are we going to sacrificially, ritually sacrifice? Who, who's the scapegoat? Yeah. Uh, somebody said, I think it was Dave Zoll in his book, Seculosity, which is fantastic. He talks about that the internet is has all the elements of Christianity, like judgment and you know atonement and all all these themes without with all the grace vacuumed out. So it's got all the elements of Christianity without any grace. And yeah. I think that's true. And so I I think you know as Christians we have to resist that impulse. And like you said, you have to understand. I mean, I think one of one of the fundamental things is understanding that the person that we are interacting with is not an avatar to be crushed. They are a whole person made in the image of God. They're not the sum total of their opinions. So you might be dead wrong. Like I may believe you are wrong and 
to quote Jed Bartlett from West Wing, you can stand there in your wrongness. I may believe that. And yet that's not all you are. You're a whole person. Yeah. And so you have this opinion, but that's not all you, we reduce people to that. And I, I think it's because of the medium, it's taken away some of the humanity. And so I think we have to reverse that. So whenever we're interacting with folks, remember this is a person. Also, we have to remember I am in public. Yeah. So I'm, I'm, I'm displaying this before other people. So it's good to have give and takes, it's good to have conversations. It's good to sometimes be provocative, you know, but just always remember these things. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, I can think of, think of this from my own perspective, but you know, whenever you've examined this too, why, why is it so tempting for people to throw themselves into arguments in a way that they would not normally do that in person? Like say that there was a group of people in a room together having the same conversation that's going on on Twitter. People will respond differently on Twitter than they would in person. I don't know if it's because they're behind a screen and they feel a faux sense of power that they don't have in, or a faux sense of confidence that they don't have in person. But, you know, it's so easy to see a headline or to see somebody comment something and to be immediately triggered and quote tweet them and bash them and, and try to try to cancel them. It's just, it's very tempting for people. And, you know, I, I speaking from a, a, whenever I worked in journalism, I know that, you know, a lot of, a lot of people that I worked with, they would use their wit in order to shame somebody because they, you know, that maybe they knew something better than somebody else or they, mm-hmm. uh, you know, they just wanted to shame somebody for something they said. So, you know, there is a level of restraint that I think Christians need to take whenever there's um, issues on, on the internet. And that's, I got to talk to Scott Sauls about that. That's kind of what his uh, recent book was about as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but why is it so tempting for us to throw ourselves into these arguments in a way that maybe we wouldn't otherwise do in person. You know, I don't know. I think there's a, there's a perverse incentive there that, you know, we want to prove how right we are. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, I, I talk about this a little bit. I don't think all back and forth arguments are bad. You know, I, I will engage in them. I think one of the things we have to ask ourselves is, is this a productive argument? Is this, is this still an argument among friends? Am I still able to be civil? Uh, one of the things I try to do if I've had a back and forth with someone is end it well and always right. be like, you know, I don't, you know, always even say something. And, and I do this not just because of the other person's humanity. I also do it because other people are watching. I've tried to do this in the last few years. Say something like, listen, I don't know. I don't think I land where you land, but man, you raise some good points. Yeah. Thanks. This is a good discussion. You can say that to anybody, right? Yeah. So that's one one thing. I think. The other thing is there's, there's a kind of a weird dopamine hit that we get of, of arguing with people. Yeah. Um, and even though I'm very active online, I, I think one of the th- conversations we have to have with ourselves is, do I have to weigh in on everything? Um, this is an important thing, but I don't have to weigh in. You know, 15 years ago, before social media existed, there wasn't a demand for every single person to have an opinion on everything, right? <laughs> like true. think about it, you know, yeah. some random, random pastor in a church in the middle of the country did not have to have a statement on every major thing. Um, and so do, do I need to weigh in on this? Do I need to weigh in on this on social media? Uh, is this a controversy I want to be involved in? You know, I've started doing this myself saying, Hey, there's three or four internet controversies I haven't gotten involved in. 
I count that as a win. Yeah. Or here's a trending topic on Twitter, and I don't even know what people are talking about. That's actually okay yeah. to not know and to not be involved. You know, being an overly argumentative person all the time, I don't think is a, is a characteristic of a mature Christian. Um, in fact, Paul talks about this in his letters to Timothy, not just in the qualifications for church leaders, which, by the way, I think, you know, even when we're doing not just in the qualifications, we don't want to be argumentative, folks. I, I think that's a real disqualifier for for anybody in spiritual leadership or with a with a uh, platform, you know, that the Bible considers that disqualifying to be an argument, overly argumentative person, to be a troll, to be someone like that. I also think. Um, Paul, it's interesting. Paul obviously was no shrieking violet. He used strong language and he took on false teachers. He took on injustice. He took on evil. And yet when he's talking to young Timothy about how to do this well as a pastor of a church, you know, he, he says, you got to be strong and courageous, stand firm. You know, he says that, but then he also couches it in, you know, listen to older folks, um, you know, you're be gentle, can be humble, be kind, consider your own sinfulness. He does all that. And so I think a lot of times, not all the time, when people think they're standing up righteously for the truth, which we, we need more of, they forget those other qualifiers that need to happen and the kind of doing it with humility. Um, you know, Peter says, first Peter three fifteen. Uh, to have an answer for every man for the hope that lies within you. Yep. So the apologetic, but do it with gentleness and kindness, right? So yeah. we have this mistaken idea that civility and courage can't go together, but they can. Sometimes courage is being quiet. You know, courage is not always being the loudest person in the room. At the same time, sometimes people who prioritize civility think if you if you have any kind of prophetic word or if you any kind of rebuke or pushback on false teaching. Well, that's mean. That's not nice. So I think we have to have a concept that civility and courage go together. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And I think one thing that I've noticed just from a, from a teacher standpoint is, you know, I have teenagers in my classes that whenever we do uh, an argumentative paper where their, their task is to go and do research, present an argument and do it in a, uh, you know, an academic setting. And sometimes we will, uh, have them present those arguments to the class and then the class can have, you know, kind of a give and take of question and answer about it. But what I've noticed is that a lot of students are having a hard time disagreeing with people because they just, they're so used to this internet, uh, you know, back and forth where it's just so like gotcha mentality that it's, it, they, they, they come into to the class with, this mindset of this is what it means to disagree with somebody. So we, I mean, that's why I value my job to teach these kids how to disagree properly. Uh, but it's something that I've noticed has trickled down from the internet world is, you know, aside from that, there's bullying and that kind of thing. But then you have the people that they, they just don't know how to disagree well. So, um, you know, I don't know if that's a discussion that you've had at your house, but um, you know, is, is that something you've noticed too, just within the younger generations where, um, does the internet has affected how they converse and just disagree with each other civilly? Yeah. I, I mean, I think, um, you, you know, I, I, I think we can, we have to have a concept that we can disagree strongly with people and yet do it civilly. Um, there's just not a, 
I, I actually think there's an appetite for this in this country, but there's also perverse incentives for that not to happen. So you, you look at the conversation that's happening right now around cancel culture. Yeah. And on the one hand, it's discouraging that um, all these organizations from the New York Times to Bon Appetit magazine and all these other places have pushed out people for really bizarre reasons because they haven't adhered to this strict kind of mm-hmm. woke code or whatever. Uh, and I think it happens on the right too. You know, if you're not sufficiently, you know, pro-Trump, you know, those things happen. So that's happening. That's very distressing. But on the other hand, you're seeing a pushback against that, um, you know, from the left where people are saying, hey, we need to have institutions that have fair discourse and disagree, but we're, we're not trying to, you know, to push that out. And I think, I think most, what distresses me is sometimes on the national level with leaders and media outlets, you know, that um, they benefit, let's be honest, they benefit from division. Yeah. More clicks, more eyeballs, right? Yeah. And, and I have a lot of friends in journalism, so I don't blame the media, but because um, I think a lot of journalists really doing some great work, but you know, cable news and a lot of internet outlets. A lot of the talking heads, they want to drive they, you. Like even ESPN is like, hey, we like the embrace debate mantra that they have, like yeah, the first take yeah. and all that. Yeah. There's, an ins- there's a perverse incentive toward this, but it's destroying the country. On the other hand, you know, when, when you come locally, and I talk to people, rank and file people, average people, Americans, they're just not like that, right? Like I can have conversations with people I disagree with and, you know, and I, and I wrote about this in one of my newsletters, but, you know, I, you know, I'm fairly conservative politically, but I didn't vote for Trump. Uh, I voted third party. I don't know what I'm going to do this, this election, but I was, you know, I have people in my life who I love, who are good people, who are godly people, who really like Trump and think he's done a lot of good things, mm-hmm. who think, you know, he can do no wrong. And I go round and round with them and I disagree with them, but I still love them. And they're better people than I am. They just see it differently. I have also have people in my life who I love, who are godly people, who are better people than me, who thinks you know, Trump is the, the worst president we've ever had and a dangerous person that can't wait to vote against him. And I go round and round with them on stuff and disagree. And I love them and they're good people. And so I think we got to figure out ways to do that. And I think as a Christian, we can do it, particularly on things like politics or things that are secondary and tertiary things. Like uh, someone posted the other day, you know, Trump, you know, because of this election, not, not even Trump, but politics lately is is destroying all my relationships and i'm thinking i'm sorry but that's on you yeah because if you're making that a litmus test that's on you honestly i like having people in my life who i think are wrong or disagree with and i can learn you know hear, see things from their perspective yeah right so i i just think that's more of a the way we have to do things Hey guys, I hope you're enjoying this conversation with Dan. Just interrupting it real quick to invite you to head over to my website, coleclayborn.com, and sign up for my newsletter. This is something that I send out every Monday, just trying to fill your inbox with some encouragement and some scriptural truth and even some free stuff. So if you like free coffee and free books and other free things, 
definitely be a part of that because you don't want to miss out on the offers that I give exclusively to those that are subscribed to my email list. So head over, you can go to coldclayborn.com. You can either sign up with the pop-up box or head over to the newsletter tab and sign up there or just click the link in the show notes and that'll take you right to the spot to sign up as well. So we're going to take just a quick break. So go ahead and use this time to sign up and we'll be back shortly with our conversation with Dan Darling. What is your take on, I mean, obviously we all see how Trump tweets, we see how he communicates, but um, what I noticed just from a teacher standpoint is, you know, I had, like I said, teenagers that would come in and they'd see Donald Trump tweeting the way that he does. and, And they felt like it was okay to talk that way. And I mean, just to be honest, not everything he tweets is something that you'd want repeated or, or just in the manner that you'd want it repeated. Yeah. So, you know, when you have the president of the United States seemingly just free will and tweeting all the time and not really mm-hmm. having any sort of uh, discretion to what he's saying, how much of that plays into the way that just Americans in general communicate online as well? Yeah. I mean, I mean, look, I think, Nobody, even his biggest defenders, cannot say that Trump is a model for discourse um, and that the way he uses social media, particularly Twitter, is good. And I do think, um, you know, the culture flows downstream from the leader. So whether you're a leader of a, of a college or you're a pastor or organization or the president of the United States, you know, you're setting an example and you're giving a permission, you're giving a... Um, you're giving permission for, for people who admire you to, to, to follow your behavior. So you can't defend the way he does this. I also think his um, Trump's uh, uncivil way that he, you know, to put it, to put it kindly, his uncivil (laughs) way that he uses social media and just discourse has brought out that kind of same behavior in his opponents. And so you have this back and forth, this feeding frenzy where, where he does this and the media does this and, and, and they kind of feed off each other. And, and I, I just want to say, like, I wish our president was more circumspect in the way he, he handled himself. Um, I, I don't know that I can help that. What I can do is worry about how I do it. And I, I want to tell people just because he's really bad here doesn't give us a right to be bad over here yeah. and vice versa. Right. And, and I, I do think leaders and I, and I have a whole chapter on leader leaders and how they use social media that, and how they use their platforms. I think we forget that we are in public. We forget that people are watching, you know, James three talks about the weight of leadership and the responsibility we have and, and, and kind of our words can either give life or bring life or death. Um, we get a, we got to watch that whether a Christian leader, a pastor, a politician, we can't just be flipping about that. People right. are watching, people are following and I have not always gotten it right. And I've had to apologize or I've looked back and said, man, I shouldn't have said that or should yeah. have done that, but you know what I'm saying? Yeah, that kind of leads into my next question is just, especially in an election year where Christians, there's, there's going to be, and I've already seen it. There are some very, very staunch Trump-supporting Christians. There are some Christians who are, are down the down the middle, and then some Christians that even lean a little bit left. Either way, there's going to be a situation where you know people of all of all spectrums are going to have very, very strong opinions this election season. But speaking specifically to Christians, you know, whenever we're conversing with fellow Christians or anybody else, you know, what 
what are just maybe one or two practical ways that we can really uh, kind of practice what you write about in this book is just, you know, you know, you mentioned restraint, not always commenting on things, but um, you know, if, if maybe somebody is listening and, and they struggle with always wanting to enter themselves into an online battle, what are, what are maybe like one or two simple, maybe, maybe not super simple, but what are maybe, you know, some helpful tips that you would advise people as they enter this potentially contentious election season? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. Um, I think number one, um, you know, it's, it's good and right to, to share political opinions online or try to persuade people to go your way. What I always say about politics with Christians is this, is that, um, you know, voting is a very difficult choice and, Good Christians are going to land in a different spot, and we need to have grace toward each other for that, right? So I think that's, especially now when the choices are, are so difficult. And um, so we need to have grace toward each other. A person who comes at it from a different perspective is not evil or bad. They're, they're just, they're prioritizing certain issues, and we're prioritizing other issues. Uh, the second thing I would say is we need to hold our, we should join parties we should be involved in politics because um, if we're to love our neighbor as ourselves and we're to care about our neighbor's flourishing, if we have an opportunity to be active, to have a voice and a vote and to shape the society in which our neighbor lives, how can we tell, you know, for instance, how can I tell my unborn neighbor that I could have stood up for him or her, but I didn't, or how can I tell my immigrant neighbor that I could have stood up for, you know, or how can I tell my, you know, minority friends that I could have and I didn't. So I don't think we have an option to not be involved. Now, the level of involvement differs for everyone, particularly, you know, based on their calling. So I think we should be involved. We should join parties. We should be involved. However, there should always be a little bit of distance between our party and the kingdom of God. And, you know, Peter says that we're strangers and exiles, which means we're never going to be fully at home in any earthly movement. There's always going to be some dissonance there. So if you join the Republican Party or join the Democratic Party or you just kind of vote that way, that's okay. Just hold it loosely and know that you, there should be some discomfort. And if there's not, then you got to ask yourself, who's getting your first allegiance, yeah. right? Um, what I also say about voting is that vote, but don't wrap your ethics around your vote. So you may decide, I'm going to, punch the ballot for this guy or that guy or this girl, that girl. Um, but it doesn't mean you have to just defend them all the time and swallow everything they do, you know, yep. hold that loosely. When it comes to online, I think uh, we need to be civil, kind. One of the things we really need to guard against in an election season is the tendency to kind of forget that we're Christians. And so we can just tear down someone publicly and remember, like, would I treat a neighbor this way? Would I treat someone, you know, like we forget that it matters what we say and that we're Christians. Also, um, we're, we're very tempted to spread or post news or things that, that we want to believe that are bad about that person, but we haven't fully Red, right? So there's, you know, we're, 
we're eager to share articles or headlines that confirm our biases, that confirm what we believe about somebody else. And I just think we have to be careful about that. And, you know, James 1 says, be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. I would say be, be quick to read the whole story, slow to post, yeah, uh, slow to internet rage. If the story is too good to be true and it shows our ideological opponent in, a, in such a bad light, just be careful. We need to read the whole story. Get all the facts. You know, yeah. God, even if we feel like we're advocating for the right issues, God doesn't need our fake news to advance his work in the world, right? Yeah. And so we need to be about the truth and not spread false information. I'm so glad you said all of that. And especially the part, you know, because I've already noticed this starting to happen. And, and I think this happens to some degree in just about every election. But uh, I mean, I have seen what I believe to be well-intentioned Christians but they're, they're, they're saying things about how this election is the most important election for the, oh for, for, the, for the sake of religious liberty. And I'm like, if you are marrying yourself to a political candidate, more, like you said, more so than God, then you need, to re, you need to reassess where your allegiance lies. And if you don't think that God can surpass any result of an election, then I'm not really sure what God you're following because God doesn't need Donald Trump to win this election. God doesn't need anybody to win any election, you know, Mm -hmm. and I understand whenever you, you support a a politician and you might say, Hey, they really back my policies and things that I believe in. I get that. I get that. But when you start marrying Christian faith and I, and I watched, I don't know if you watched this documentary on Netflix, it was called the family. Um, and it's all about this mm-hmm. kind of like, have you watched that before? Um, and, and it talks about just kind of the, you know, how throughout history, faith and, and especially Christian faith has married itself, or I guess right wing politicians have married the Christian faith to that side of the political spectrum. And I think there was, I, I don't remember the quote exactly, but back in the 80s, Billy Graham had some kind of a quote that, that uh, spoke to this issue and, and essentially was saying, be careful of doing that because um, you know you're, you're going to run into some problems. And he obviously said it much more eloquently than I uh, can say it here. But it was basically that was the gist of it was you know be careful about marrying right wing politics to Christian faith because you're going to get people that will pervert it. And you know now that with social media you're going to get people that uh, pervert it in a way that they they use it almost as a weapon on online. So I don't know if you've noticed that you know it from from your seat, but I I definitely have noticed. Uh, people that you know have very large platforms on, on social media posting stuff like that. So um, it's it's a very dangerous arena to get into. Yeah, it, it really is, and I just think we have to be we have to be wise about our interaction. The, the idea, you know, and I look, I've been involved in politics, and I I love following it. I read his, you know, American history for fun. I love all this stuff, but I've been told ever since I could vote that this election is the most important election of our lifetime. And I'm thinking, you can't tell me this every year, right? And this, <laughs> yeah. is, and this, is, just, this is said by people on both sides. I've heard this from both sides as long as I could vote. That, and what happens when we say things like that is, it, it's kind of like the Flight 93 argument that, you know, we got to break everything and break all the rules because this is more important and we got to beat the other team. Um, and I'm hearing that from both sides, mm-hmm. right? If you don't vote for the Republicans, the left is going to do this. If you don't for the for, for the 
Democrats, this is going to happen. And I mean, that's a terrible reason to vote and a terrible reason to get involved. Now, you may favor one side or the other, and you may have more concerns about one side or the other, but, you know, it also kind of reflects a lack of trust in God. Um, You know, I have certain policy ideas and things that I think need to happen and would like to see happen that I think are good for human flourishing. But at the end of the day, I have to trust that God is sovereign over all things. And he doesn't need me to violate what it means to be a Christian in order to make that happen. Yeah. That's a really good way to put it. That's I, I, I'm so, I'm really, I'm so glad you spoke to this because, um, you know, I feel like as we get closer to the election, a lot of the conversations on this podcast are probably going to at least touch on, on politics and the election. And, you know, I just, I've really had to kind of, like you said, I, I've had to restrain my own self from, from, getting into too many discussions about this on social media, because one, I don't necessarily enjoy the back and forth a lot of times with certain types of people and and people that I know are going to respond a certain way. But one thing that I feel very passionately about is that I just, I don't want to see people perverting the Christian faith for their own ideological benefit. And I, and I see that happen every election, but especially this year where things are so polarized and, you know, you have a super, super far right wing contingent that marries itself to Donald Trump as like the savior for religious liberty. And then, you know, there you got the battle between left and right. And it's just it, it, it can get ugly. And, you know, I have to pick and choose when and where I want to enter that arena to discuss it, because if not, I, I feel like I'm just going to drive myself insane. <laughs> yeah, I think one of the things to be we need to guard against, too, is and I see this a lot among Christians is, is maybe we've seen a bad model of, 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 of engagement or Christians involved. And so we so much don't want to be that, that we run so far over here. Right. So I see a lot of folks who grew up conservative evangelical, like I did, they saw some bad models. So they're going to run so far over, over here. And what's funny is they, they tend to become the left wing version of what they just escaped if that makes sense. So yeah. I think we have to be careful that. So the, the name of the show is in no hurry. So the idea is kind of like pulling back from a hectic life and kind of just slowing down a little bit, kind of, you know what the Bible says, you know, be still and focus on God and that kind of thing. Whenever your life does get a little crazy, uh, you mentioned you're a big sports fan, but what do you do to slow down and just kind of relax and recenter your focus whenever your life's getting a little crazy? That's a great point. You know, um, my hobbies are, so I love to watch sports. I do love, I like reading American history. I'm, I'm a, I'm an absolute history nut. I like to read American history, biographies of presidents. There's something about history that is deeply settling to me. Like it, it, um, you know, it's, you're out of this, the present, and you're able to just kind of walk through things. It also kind of gives me perspective. Like, you know, we've been through these things before and all that. And I just enjoy it. Uh, I like watching sports on TV. Uh, I like playing golf, although I'm not that good at it. And I don't get to do it enough. That's been uh, my I new like hobby hang- too. I've been playing a yeah. lot of golf. And I like hanging with my family. You know, this whole time has been, you know, I haven't traveled, haven't, you know, I have all my speaking engagements canceled. So that's been weird, but kind of the rhythms of, uh, 
being with my family. I think the rhythms of, of my daily life, you know, the, the morning routine of reading my Bible and having that first cup of, you know, black coffee hit my lips, you know, things like that. Uh, I also like to rewatch the West wing, nice, which is a great show. And I'm in the process of rewatching it again. And it's just giving me all the feels. Um, what else do I like to do? I think that's good. You know, you got a nice bookshelf behind you. So I assume you like to read a lot too. I do enjoy reading. Yeah. It's, it's, it's fun. Well, Daniel, uh, where can people get your book and where can they connect with you if they want to follow you? So you can go to my website, uh, danieldarling.com or just go to awaywithwordsbook.com. We got links to all the retailers there that sell it. And we got some special bonuses. If you pre-order, uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Dan Darling. Uh, you could read my stuff on my blog or, you know, other places I write for, uh, I have a number of places that I write for, but that's pretty much the best places. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much for, for this book and for this conversation. I think it's definitely needed as we, like I said, as we enter into this political uh, contentious political season, election season. And honestly, it's an evergreen topic anyway, whether it's a, it's an election season or not. I think it's an evergreen topic that, uh, you know, hopefully, you know, something that people can revisit, they can revisit this conversation. And then, you know, once they read your book, they can revisit it. And uh, I just think, you know, having that approach and how we talk to people on the internet, like you said, the internet's not going anywhere. So the way that we talk to people uh, is, is becoming increasingly even more important. So thank you so much for coming on to the show and, and sharing your wisdom. And hopefully we'll get to see some Bears football this fall. Well, thank you, Cole. I appreciate it. And I love the podcast. Love what you're doing. And uh, great to have a conversation with you. And uh, yeah, go Bears, man. Well, we recorded that earlier in August. So at the time, I wasn't quite sure if we were going to get any Bears football. But as I mentioned before the show, we do have the NFL season and the Bears are 1-0 to start the year. So Daniel and I are both happy about that. But hope you guys enjoyed that conversation with Daniel. I just think it's a very important topic as we enter election season. And as we know that the internet can get incredibly vicious. And so just use your judgment and definitely check out Daniel's book because it's chock full of great advice and wisdom for how to approach our conversations online. Hey, if you guys need me at all, you know where to find me. I'm Cole Claiborne on basically every social media platform. You can find me also on Facebook at Cole Douglas Claiborne. Would love to connect with you guys. And as mentioned earlier, would love to connect with you guys on my newsletter and have you guys be a part of that each week. So head over to my website or check out the show notes to sign up for that as well. But thank you guys so much for tuning in. I hope you have a great week. I hope you find some time to relax and not be in a hurry. And we'll see you next week.